0: Welcome to Slandertown, a podcast for people who love the First Amendment and good old fashioned legal slugfests. I'm your host, Thunvival Sungikar. Joining me are Dan Novak and Ari Cohn, two First Amendment lawyers whose unhealthy appetite for petty legal beefs continues to grow with every episode.
1: If I had a therapist, they'd probably describe this podcast as a cry for help.
0: Today, we're going to be diving into two equally wacky defamation suits the Wagatha Christie Saga and Trump's flimsy lawsuit against CNN.
1: Joining the Slandertown crew today is Ashley Collins of The Hollywood Reporter. Ashley, tell us what you do for The Hollywood Reporter and why you love the First Amendment so much.
2: So I am the senior business editor Which means I oversee the business section of the print magazine and also a a few special features throughout the year. And then for the website and for the magazine, I report on all things legal and business in the entertainment industry. And to answer your second question, I think we're just at kind of a bizarre and really interesting place when it comes to free speech. because. A lot of people throw that phrase around without actually knowing what it means as, you know, new technology emerges and everybody thinks they have a God-given right to tweet. So we're just kind of at a, a really interesting intersection of tech and law and social media right now that I find really fun.
1: Art actually has direct authorization from God to tweet.
3: Oh, yeah. That's... Divine birthright.
1: So let's talk about Wagatha Christie. First off, what's a wag? Wags are the significant others of the ultra-famous British Association of Football Players. And as I wrote in The Hollywood Reporter, while their husbands may settle their differences on the field, wags take it to the courts. Tanvi, for our listeners who don't read so good, tell us about Wagatha Christie.
0: In this case, Colleen Rooney, wife of the legendary Manchester United footballer Wayne Rooney, noticed that her private Instagram posts were becoming tabloid fodder for the sun. Using her excellent sleuthing skills, Rooney blocked all but one of her followers, Rebecca Vardy, wife of Leicester City striker Jamie Vardy. She then started posting a series of false flags as bait. When she noticed that her fake stories were turning into headlines like Colleen Rooney traveled to Mexico to look into gender selection treatment and desperate bid to have a baby girl, the jig was up. Rooney immediately took to Twitter to out Vardy as the think. at which point Vardy did the reasonable and mature thing and sued Rooney for libel.
1: As one does. Now, Vardy caught an early break in the case when the Honorable Mrs. Justice Stein ruled that Rooney had to not only prove the leaks originated from Vardy, but that Vardy knew and intended for the information to be passed on to the Sun. Despite this, Rooney stood tall, and after three years of legal posturing and a multi-week trial, she eventually prevailed.
0: Now, Vardy's on the hook not only for her attorney's fees, but Rooney's as well. I don't know a lot about soccer, but let's call that a red card. Heyo. Wagatha Christie, to me, is the apotheosis of celebrities and politicians filing really dumb libel lawsuits. Both ladies have gotten a lot of exposure, and it doesn't seem like Vardy has really suffered much blowback. Even if this winds up costing her several million dollars, do you think she got her money's worth in publicity?
2: It depends on whether she believes that all press is good press, right? Because I'm sure there are a lot of people who now know her name who never would have heard of her without this. But they also now associate her with a very stupid lawsuit and being a Backstabber on Instagram, and I'm not sure how valuable those things are. I mean, villains in reality series do sometimes turn it into a career, so I guess she's got that going for her.
1: Yeah, so all credit to the UK legal system for blowing this up to a degree that we had to take notice across the pond. I know a lot of UK artists struggle to, you know, bring their careers over stateside. (laughs) So this is somebody that managed to make the leap.
3: I got to say, too, uh, I sometimes don't follow UK libel suits as much as the US ones. And I hadn't really heard of this one before you mentioned it. But like each successive article that I read about it, I found myself laughing more and more and more about just the patent ridiculousness of everything. And just the way that it was described, the New York Times said something like it was a fashion show as much as a whodunit. And I just completely lost my mind at that point.
1: It's a perfect storm. You have to be crazy to file that lawsuit, but you also kind of have to be crazy to defend it. And most people would say, I don't really want to spend the next five years of my life defending this. It it was just a dumb accusation I threw off on Twitter, could just easily delete it and just say, whoops, my bad. She was so sure that she was right. So resolute in her absolutely smashing detective work uh, (laughs) that, which was mostly circumstantial. I mean, it was like, it seemed pretty airtight, but like, wasn't like she had beyond reasonable doubt. She's like, no, I got this.
3: On the plaintiff's side too, like having to sit there on the stand and say, regrettably, I threw my phone into the North Sea.
1: (laughs) It's more euphemistic than that. It's like, regrettably, my phone made contact with the North Sea. It's just, (laughs) it just took two very special people. And I kind of feel like it was like they were renting the legal system. They pay the lawyers, but the UK population pays for the courtroom and the judges and the bailiffs, so it's not like this is free. In 20 years, we're
3: going to find out that this was all a coordinated publicity stunt. Mark my words.
2: I mean, they do have shows now, right? Like multiple shows. (laughs) There's
1: at least a Netflix project. There's a BBC thing. I think there might be a Disney Plus thing. It's definitely elevated both of their profiles. And again, like if the worst thing that you're known for is filing a dumb lawsuit, but the thing that she actually did is like just kind of like garden variety bad behavior. She didn't leak information about, like, something, like, so intensely personal. It's just this really dumb stuff that no one has to feel bad about liking her, I guess, even though she abused the legal system. But, like, no one cares about the legal system, so no harm, no foul. <laughs> All's wildly childish.
0: Yeah, and Dan, to your point, part of what made this lawsuit so fun is that it was basically about nothing, right? It's the type of dispute that would ordinarily get sorted out on, like, Judge Judy's show. But if I were a reality TV producer, I feel like I might even encourage my cast to sue each other just for the publicity of it all, you know? It seems like something maybe like a real housewife would pull. Do you think that we'll see copycats here in America? I mean, not that I couldn't think of a couple of lawyers who might file a lawsuit like this.
2: I think most of them have self-respect, though.
3: Oh, you haven't met enough lawyers.
1: (laughs) There's a very old case. It's like the first case they teach you in civil procedure in law school. And I think it's called Pearson versus post. And it's this guy is hunting a That's fox. property.
0: I thought oh, it was property.
1: <laughs> Maybe it was, pro- Ugh, I'm aging myself. Okay. This guy is chasing a Fox through the woods. This is like 1800s. Okay. He's chasing a Fox through the woods and bam, a Fox gets struck down, but it's not, it's not his bullet. It's this guy that was hanging out like in a tree or whatever. And he wasn't chasing the Fox. It just kind of came into his, into his zone. that He was kind of staking out. Can't remember who's Pearson. Can't remember who's post. But the guy with the fox, that was chasing, him was like, "No way, dude! That was my fox. I own that." So maybe it was property class. <laughs> I got to be in both of them, so it's irrelevant. And it became this. This case actually went all the way to the United States Supreme Court over essentially nothing. The question was boiled down to is like, possessions nine tenths of the law. Did he possess this thing? Uh, could it be his? Could it be his? To the extent a wild animal can be his, or finders keepers. Honestly, I can't remember who won. But the reason why it stuck with me is that there's like these letters that were uncovered by historians where the lawyers for each side were were kind of like texting each other uh, saying, I've got my goose and you've got yours. Meaning we're not really incentivized to stop suing each other because as lawyers, we're just gonna keep going and keep getting billed. (laughs) So you just wonder like if there could just be two lawyers that just each have their goose and and just don't have any incentive to draw down. Scruples. (laughs) Yeah, scruples, you know. (laughs)
3: Courts are like, all right, whatever. You're, you're using our courtroom for shenanigans.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I could see it happening. Um, it takes the right two people and the right two lawyers.
3: If we look hard enough, we've had our version already. It's out there.
1: If I recall, there was a subplot in the Kardashians years ago where one of them was getting sued. And it felt like a kind of a family affair. Hard to know what's real and what's fake with them.
3: Dan, you really got a tap out of pop culture.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm really embarrassing myself here. Uh...
3: (laughs) Here's the thing. The U.K. has historically been very plaintiff-friendly in libel cases um, to the point where the U.S. actually passed a law because of U.K. libel laws called the uh, Speech Act, and I forget exactly what year it was passed in, that said foreign libel judgments cannot be enforced in U.S. courts unless they were conducted under procedures and law that would uh, substantially comply with the First Amendment protections that we have here.
1: Which is nowhere, because no other country has a First Amendment.
3: Right. Uh, The real new libel tourism place is Northern Ireland, uh, which was not included in those U.K. reforms and still is uh, a haven for the rich and famous who feel wronged uh, for suing people for libel, because if one person in Northern Ireland reads the post there, the courts will uh, basically will take jurisdiction. Um, and they got, they got no problem with it. And of course, with the Speech Act, good luck uh, enforcing the judgment. That being said, if you have assets in Northern Ireland or in a country with no such protection against enforcing foreign judgments law like the US has, you're kind of going to be screwed, especially for multinational companies that have assets all over the place. For you and I, I don't know where, I may have a tree in Israel or something (laughs) in my name, but I don't have assets anywhere else.
0: So Dan, on the flip side, what are the kinds of things that we can say here that UK citizens can't?
1: So I'm going to go back again to my dumb tabloid stories. (laughs) UK law is crazy. I mean, it's bad when it comes to reputation, but it is crazy when it comes to privacy. And so the zone of privacy for UK c- citizens is really, really big. Whereas here in America, it's pretty modest. It's like, don't blow up somebody's sex life. Maybe don't share like some really personal medical information about them, that sort of thing. Um, in the UK, it's like, just don't. Just don't talk about people. So. Um, it creates this kind of reality distortion field where the best example I can think of was several years ago, the the tabs were um, going after Elton John and his husband. It was over again, the dumbest thing, which was David Furnish, Elton John's husband was having a consensual relationship with another man. Um, I don't think it was even necessary adultery. It just was a relationship that he had. And it was alleged that he was having unprotected sex with this person. Who cares? Well, they tried to make hay of it because they're big anti-AIDS um, activists that try to preach uh, good uh, sexual health and hygiene, etc. And so it was like uh, the slimmest charge of hypocrisy that he would have unprotected sex with another man. Um, so I'm not here to defend the reporting. It was completely stupid. But uh, on the other hand, like who cares? Well. Elton and Sir Elton and David cared. And so they went directly into court to get this injunction and it became known as the PJS case. It's just a a pseudonym. PJS is I'm comfortable saying David Furnish. Elton John is YMA. I don't know how they come up with these things. They succeeded. the, The court ruled for them and appellate court ruled against them. And then the highest court again flipped it. So the status quo now remains you cannot say the word Elton or David in connection with this thing that I just described. However, so what? In the US, we don't have that. So what happens now is US publications, everyone in the UK, by the way, knows this. All the, all the journalists know exactly who these people are. They just can't say it. And it'd be really bad if they did. So if you talk to like someone in the UK, you can kind of like try to trick them into saying Alton John out loud, and they'll be like, "Uh-uh, nice try." That's 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 YMA. Uh, so here we can say it, and really the only thing that will happen is you have to geo-filter your internet here. So if you're going to do an article about this story, make sure it's not accessible from a UK IP address. If you're going to do a book about it, you wouldn't want to sell it in the UK necessarily. So um, their loss is sort of our gain, and we can talk a lot more freely about certain things, but if I were to take a trip over to London, I would not say it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm safe here, I'm not breaking the law here, but if I did the same thing over there, I would be uh, in pretty deep doo-doo.
2: How though, as a thought exercise, does the fact that anyone anywhere in the world can listen to your podcast factor into this, right? Because if somebody hears this in the UK and argues their reputation is damaged in the UK, are you safe just because you recorded this in the United States?
1: Yeah, so I'm not actually. But uh, as already said, <laughs> said, I'm comfortable I have no assets in the UK. So uh, we're just going to take the risk. I mean, I'm sorry. Dunvee, Ari, you know, we're all <laughs> in it together now, but... Uh, it would be a great
3: boon for our uh, visibility if, if something were to happen over this, you know?
1: You know what? I'm going to surrender myself to UK authorities. I don't think they'll take me, but I'll surrender myself. <laughs> and we can have a... Maybe I could, like, do a self-perp walk. I'll just turn myself into um, Scotland Yard.
3: Frog march yourself.
1: Yeah. I'll pay someone to dress up like a Bobby or Beefeater or whatever they're called there. and uh, And just, you know... I'll become a political prisoner and a cause syllab here.
0: <laughs> and now, turning to our second and equally ridiculous case Trump's lawsuit against CNN. Donald Trump has sued cable TV network CNN in a federal court in Fort Lauderdale, claiming that the news station has, quote, tried to taint Trump's reportedly good name with a series of, quote, scandalous, false, and defamatory labels of racist, Russian lackey insurrectionist, and ultimately Hitler. Uh, Trump claims that CNN has cranked up its criticism of him as part of a concerted effort to tilt the political balance to the left, um, apparently in fear of Trump's potential presidential campaign for 2024. Uh, The lawsuit cited several incidents in which CNN compared Trump to Hitler, and very foolishly, included screenshots of random Twitter users who responded to CNN's reports by drawing much more explicit and direct comparisons between Trump and Hitler than CNN itself did. Well, first, it's kind of crazy that Trump even has the time to file this lawsuit, considering he's enmeshed in his own legal scandals, you know, like the DOJ's investigation against him for retention of government records at the Mar-a-Lago estate. Um, and the lawsuit that the New York State Attorney General filed against him that accused Trump of lying to banks and insurers about the value of his assets. But here we are. So, Ashley, Trump is something like O4 against the media. He sued Tim O'Brien for saying that he isn't a billionaire and lost. He sued a local TV station in Wisconsin over a political ad and lost. He sued the New York Times for connecting his campaign to Russian meddling and lost. And he actually already sued CNN in 2020 for essentially saying the same thing and lost. Why does Trump love suing the media?
2: Every story has a villain, right? And in Trump's story, where he's the protagonist, the media is the villain. They're the ones that dare to criticize him. And ironically, given the subject of the lawsuit, he has started a one-sided war with the press he's dubbed them the enemy of the people meaning the enemy of me and his goal seems to be to discredit them over and over and over again so that nobody believes anything they say at least when it comes to things about him and he can say it as much as he wants out in the world But like, he's not on Twitter anymore. He's not the president of the United States anymore, so he's not getting picked up on television as much as he used to. And court is one place where he can continue this conversation.
1: Ashley, you've described your work as like the intersection of business and law at times, right? And sometimes I like to think of business and law as the same thing, like law is a business. Um, In the US legal system, you don't generally go to jail for things that you say. It's usually, if you get in trouble, you, you pay a penalty, you know, damages, et cetera. If you're Alex Jones, that's a billion dollars. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just money. Are these lawsuits just business for Trump? Is this just part of the Trump brand and, and trying to get um, drum up attention and donations and keep keep that visibility high so he can finally launch his Trump TV or whatever his next plan is?
2: It does seem like PR, yeah. But there is also the possibility that somebody is in his ear telling him that he's right. So you never know.
3: And between the two, when you don't end up ever ever actually paying your lawyers, you know, it's a no loss proposition, right?
1: Well, unless he gets slapped or or hit with sanctions. But, I mean, good luck chasing him. Even if you're, you know, the U.S. Marshal's trying to chase him down. He seems pretty, uh, he's light on his feet when somebody's looking for money.
3: And I did see a report that he paid with something like a $3 million retainer. I think that might have been in the criminal probe, not in this case, but uh, you never know.
1: Oh, I think his lawyers now, we'll, we'll get into this, they they charge up front. They they know there's no ability to get him to part with dollars later, especially if he's not happy with their performance or what he perceives to be their performance. But yeah, if, if for right, right now, it's like cash now.
0: One of Trump's major complaints is, you know, that he's compared to Hitler or the Nazis I understand that most people don't find that to be a flattering comparison, but is there actually any evidence that Trump is anti-Nazi? The book, Frankly, We Did Win This Election by Michael Bender, reported that on a visit to Europe to mark the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War, Donald Trump insisted to his then chief of staff, John Kelly, quote, well, Hitler did a lot of good things, end quote.
3: You just got hit with a loaded question.
0: (laughs) To be clear, this is my opinion and not a statement
2: of fact. I don't think that he's really challenged that bit of it, right?
1: There is an art to what he is doing, and I've seen it in other lawsuits. The New York Times was sued by a guy named Peter Brimlow. He's a, I'm going to use the word "white supremacist, but that's the word that he challenged and, and ultimately lost his loss against the New York Times. In challenging these things, like these lawsuits have a really weird pattern to them, and I can see it in the complaint here, which is, being called Hitler is very damaging to my reputation, but it doesn't say I don't like Hitler. It just says it's bad for me. So like you would think you could find one sentence in there in your complaint to say Hitler was the worst guy ever. And I'm very anti-Hitler. You know, in the Charlottesville thing, they just had the hardest time getting him to condemn them. And some part of him thinks that that's the libs winning if he will finally just say, fuck Hitler.
2: I did notice... In this complaint, in a similar vein, he keeps referencing the big lie and how the big lie is about the election, but he never flat out says the election was stolen. And I'm wondering if that was strategic, because if in the complaint they say the election is stolen, then that opens up a whole can of worms for discovery and moving forward. So it almost seems like he's avoiding the underlying issue and just focusing extremely myopically on the words, the big lie.
3: Okay. So two things, first of all, this case, and and this is similar, uh, not going to say that this isn't literally true uh, escapades. Just remind me so strongly of the case. And I can't remember the party's names. I wish I could uh, where somebody sued over being called a piece of shit. And literally, as part of the complaint, it says, I am not feces, uh, therefore, this is defamatory.
2: I feel like we covered this, and I wrote the headline, and it said something about defamation and defecation.
1: It was right there for you, right? I mean, those headlines write themselves. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Either that or there were two shit-related lawsuits recently.
3: <laughs> no, I think there's pretty much only one that went down that particular um,
1: highway. Oh, the Hershey Highway, am I right?
3: Uh, so now, now I'm trying to remember what the second thing I had to say was. <laughs> Thank you for getting it. Uh, <laughs> the fact that he won't actually admit that, you know... Hitler was bad, and I don't like Hitler, and, and all of this. I mean, that is just right to the heart of the fact that this is all opinion. If you can't say in your complaint that these statements are false, basically just that they were mean. Congratulations, you have filed a lawsuit over non-actionable opinion. That is just bare minimum in defamation pleading. Uh, and, you know, it's not surprising. You, you know, the the lawyers aren't exactly an all-star team here.
0: Yeah, I mean. If Trump, by some stroke of extraordinary fortune, survives a motion to dismiss, you know, he has depositions of him, his family, his friends, and basically everyone in his orbit to look forward to. Um, you know, CNN's lawyers can now ask him about every racist comment that he's ever made. Um, There'll be a lot to ask him, for example, under oath uh, about his connections to Russia, which is something that even Robert Mueller never accomplished. Is this the greatest opportunity a news organization has ever had? Maybe,
2: but we keep having things come up where it's like, this is the time they're really going to get him. And he always manages to evade. And so I would love for Discovery in this to be really productive, but I fear it's going to be a lot of avoidance and non-answers.
1: But this is a game of chicken, right? Because he's the one engineering this confrontation and he has to he has to like pull out you know like Kevin Bacon on the tractor in Footloose like one of them's going to have to get out of the other's way and CNN is not going to do it they're like they're in it so Trump has to get out of this before he has to sit for the deposition and he's having a really hard time not sitting in depositions for the cases where he's the defendant. This is the Eugene Carroll case where the judge is like, all right, next week you're up. So that's not about the Russian disinformation charges or Hitlerism or anything like that. But it's kind of funny that he's he's created the situation that would be his own destruction.
2: Not unlike the Wagatha Christie case. Exactly,
1: exactly. And the luckiest thing that could happen to him is getting Mike Lindell'd and this case gets dismissed before he to actually has to actually go through with it. Um, that would be like a mercy. Well, I
3: think that's his plan. I think that's his plan. I think that Donald Trump and his lawyers are trying to use this as a cheap PR stunt, and they are basically hoping that it gets dismissed. And then they can also use that to blame the radical judiciary or whatever uh, about how he's not getting a fair shake.
1: Well, they clearly wanted to get to a preferred judge, and he's done this before. He filed the mar lago stuff in the district he knew that Cannon was like the only judge on duty. So there's there's some gamesmanship here. That didn't
3: work for him all the time, though.
1: No, it has not worked for him in every instance. In fact, a number of Trump judges have actually said, you know, nah, fam, I'm good.
3: Or he'll like get the one Bill Clinton appointee or something. Yeah,
1: the, the 87-year-old half-asleep Bill Clinton appointee. What? <laughs> so, um, uh, actually, uh, as a journalist, you know, when the lawyers come in, they're usually trying to like, you know, take the temperature down. Like, as a journalist, would you be like, no, 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 we're good. We don't need to defend this lawsuit. I want this to keep going.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, hmm. that's a hard one because, again, you don't know where it's going to go, right?
1: Normally what you do here is this is a dumb case. You file a motion to dismiss, meaning even if everything he said in his complaint is true, it's not actionable. It's not actionable to call someone a Nazi if you're not saying that they were a member of the Third Reich, you know? So here, like, CNN could conceivably say, we're not gonna do a motion to dismiss, we welcome discovery. And then Trump has two choices, either his case cannot go forward without depositions. So either he has to drop his lawsuit and just withdraw it, or sit for the deposition and, or allow Ivanka and Jared and John Kelly, who said that he, you know he, he had favorable comparisons to Hitler, like they're all getting deposed and it's not his choice whether they sit for them. So I just wonder whether or not like, the gamesmanship goes in the wrong direction for him this time, and CN's like, bring it. We don't need to see this case go away. We're okay spending the money.
2: Maybe, but I'm also becoming a little bit jaded when it comes to expecting cases to go the way the law intends them to go. So I feel like if I'm CNN and I am drafting motions in this case i'm being very careful that i'm not accidentally going to do something that if in the hands of the wrong judge could you know upend press protections and defamation cases
1: so you're you're the one in the you're like take the shot take the shot to kill this case (laughs) and i'm like no no let it live
2: I also just don't think these lawyers are very interesting. Like, I was reading this complaint. It seems like it was written by somebody who has watched a lot of legal shows on television, not by actual defamation lawyers.
3: Well, they are definitely not actual defamation lawyers.
1: Well, they're, they're defamatory lawyers, but they're not defamation <laughs> lawyers. There's a distinction there. Um, Tanvi, I know you looked up their, their bios. So for the listeners, who, who are these lawyers that signed the complaint?
0: Yeah, so, like you said, I noticed that the complaint against CNN was signed by two lawyers, Lindsey Halligan and James Trusty. We know that Halligan was one of the lawyers who was at Mar-a-Lago when the FBI raided it. According to her bio, Lindsey's practice focuses on the litigation of numerous water, fire, SIU fraud, vandalism, I think it was like theft claims, on both residential and commercial properties. And, on the other hand, Trusty is a former DOJ prosecutor. Uh, According to the New York Times, Trump had hired him after he saw him on TV. So neither of these lawyers really appears to have any experience or knowledge of defamation law, and it really shows. Uh, Do you think it's fair to say that Trump is having trouble finding good representation?
1: Trump used to have a go-to plaintiff's lawyer, Charles Harder, aka the Gawker Killer. Charles Harder is ubiquitous in the media space for representing a rogues gallery, who's who's of of naughty celebrities, uh, politicians, etc., and he's a real lawyer. He's a real accomplished lawyer. I think he's completely overrated because he after Gawker, it's been really a lot of nothing since then. But he's a real lawyer that possesses an actual intellect and an ability to win cases. He Charles is very hard. Every year he Charles is harder. Trump fired him.
2: I was just going to say like he's a like you said he's a real lawyer. He's smart. I think part of the reason he hasn't done much of interest to this group lately is because he got tied up with the trump family and started handling their messes so like he hasn't had another gawker because he's been otherwise occupied
1: he did win like a two million dollar verdict against this like random maryland blogger that doesn't have the money but otherwise every one of his lawsuits has been a total dud he's helped trump get out of a couple lawsuits but at some point in 2021 he stopped Uh, filing as Trump's lawyer. The Daily Beast said that Trump was just kind of done with him. He wasn't getting results. And it's interesting because like only, what's the saying? Like only a bad craftsman blames his tools. Like Charles Harder is a tool. (laughs) I I don't mean that. I kind of do mean that sometimes. But he is good at what he does. But if you give him bad lawsuits, bad faith lawsuits to file, nothing but that. He can't spin magic out of nothing. And so Trump's like, why aren't you winning? He's like, well, why don't you stop saying and doing dumb things? <laughs> and so the the it was just untenable that they could stay together forever. It's sad, but uh, they, they had to part, I guess, as friends.
3: I think Charles Harder has pro- probably got the better end of that break. <laughs> yeah,
1: so um, now Trump is reduced to hiring people that he sees on OAN spouting nonsense. And so you have to wonder it's like more than one factor. It's like, who does he want, but also who will work for him? Trump does not seem to be able to hire good people. And it's really shows in their complaints. Like when the rubber hits the road, I don't care if you do, you know, maybe she started working on at Mar-a-Lago because she's like, they had some flooding, but maybe she's, you could be a brilliant lawyer that happens to do, you know, numerous water, fire, fraud, and vandalism cases. If she is, she has not brought her A game. It's not a well-crafted complaint. I question whether anyone could put together something that would work, but there's better than this, is what I'll say.
3: We'll just call her differently qualified.
1: You have alternative facts, you have alternative legal arguments, you have alternative lawyers now.
0: (laughs) Well, that's all the defamation talk we have for you today. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights about these crazy cases. Catch us next time on Slandertown.